Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. I've confessed here before that you should be very grateful that Ardell reads through all these sermons before I inflict them on you, but I was a little hesitant to have her read this one. You might say this is a sermon about the art of forgetting, and she knows better than anybody that for me to preach about the virtues of forgetfulness is akin to an alcoholic holding forth on the merits of gin. Well, just last Sunday, the Calvary banner went missing from this room because the night before... I had been tasked with hauling it over to the beautiful liturgy on the Feast of the Martyrs of Memphis at St. Mary's Cathedral. If I were a bookie, I'd have put the odds of my remembering to bring that banner back from the service at about one in five. Probably optimistic. Whatever the odds, I didn't beat them, and the Calvary banner hung for an extra week over at the cathedral. But forgetting is every bit as necessary to our lives as memory is, isn't it? Consider this fantastical story by Jorge Luis Borges, Funes the Memorius. Irenaeo Funes had a memory problem too, you see, but his was very different from mine. Irenaeo, son of the town ironing woman, was thrown from a half-tamed horse. The fall left him paralyzed. But when Irenaeo regained consciousness, something had changed. He found that he suddenly remembered everything, literally. He remembered everything from all 19 years of his life up to that point. We, the narrator explains, can perceive three glasses on a table. Funes knew by heart the forms of the southern clouds at dawn on the 30th of April, 1882, and could compare them in his memory with the mottled streaks on a book in Spanish binding he had seen once, and with the outlines of the foam raised by an oar in the Rio Negro, the night before the Quebracho uprising. Now, as someone who regularly looks for his lost eyeglasses in the refrigerator because there's really no telling where he might have laid them down, (laughs) Irenaeo's gift sounds divine to me, but it was diabolical. After his fall, you see, Irenaeo could no longer think of anything in general, every leaf, Every stone, every square inch of every, anything he'd ever gazed upon was now lodged in the great and expanding garbage heap of his memory. His memory was so oppressively perfect that to sleep he had to imagine houses on the newly built streets to the east of his own, houses he had never seen, which he would imagine as black, compact, and made of homogeneous darkness. Only then could Irenaeo turn his mind from the world and go to sleep. We may wish our memories were better, but Funes the Memorius is a strange reminder that forgetting is every bit as essential to life as memory is. We have to forget to go on. At least sometimes we do. At least some of our memories need to go. We might say that that in the parable Jesus tells in response to Peter's question about forgiveness, it turns on two forgettings. Jesus commends one of them to us. He commends the less convenient one, of course, 
But it's not only for the sake of those around us that he does, I think. Peter's question and the parable Jesus tells in response are among the most memorable in the Gospels. What's interesting is that the question comes on the heels of last week's Gospel reading, which began with Jesus saying, if your brother or your sister sins against you, go and point, the fault, point out the fault when the two of you are alone. Remember that one. Well, Jesus says that if you've been wronged by a friend, don't pretend to forget it. Go to the person with your hurts so you can reconcile. And if that doesn't work, bring two or three more into the conversation. And if that doesn't work, bring in a few more people from the community. And if that doesn't work, well, you may need to set some boundaries. The passage seemed to be about how to keep a sin from festering in a particular community. It ended uncomfortably with Jesus saying that if the person still won't be reconciled to treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector, treat them as someone who's no longer part of your community. But maybe you remember how Jesus treated Gentiles and tax collectors. He got in trouble pretty regularly for eating and drinking with them, apparently in hopes that even these despised outsiders might eventually be brought fully back into the community of grace. Well, since Peter's question today comes right after this teaching in Matthew, at least to me, it seems like a moment when the stone-headed Peter actually understood what Jesus was trying to say. He got it that to treat someone like a Gentile or a tax collector wasn't to give up on the possibility of restoration. It was simply to describe the landscape truthfully. A relationship's been completely ruptured. The offender really has stepped beyond the boundaries of community. Now it's just time to figure out how to go get them like the one lost sheep that scampered away from the 99. So Peter, understanding that the previous story really just means it's time to start the reconciliation program Jesus designed for Gentiles and tax collectors, Peter asks whether there's a limit to this work of forgiving. Would this go on up to even... Seven times, he asks. Jesus says, add 70, and you're in the ballpark. And I'm pretty sure the takeaway was not intended to be that on the 78th infraction, Peter would be free to give that jerk what he had coming all along. (laughs) You see, if you've been keeping careful track of somebody else's sins, and you reach 77, you've got a memory problem. In fact, these sins have probably stayed alive and at work in this world, in part, precisely by getting so deeply embedded in your head, don't you think? The story Jesus tells in response is just as famous as the arithmetic in his reply. He tells a parable about a slave who owes a king 10,000 talents and can't pay. The slave goes and begs for mercy for himself and for his family, And the king has pity upon the man and forgives the debt. This is the first forgetting in the story, right? The man is in debt. The king says, forget about it. The story turns when the man does just that. He forgets that he's just been forgiven. And he has a fellow slave who owes him a pittance compared to his own freshly canceled thousands thrown into prison. Jesus says, I want you to forget like the king forgets, not like the slave forgets. I'm not going to say too much about the threat of divine judgment at the end of the story. 
It's startling, of course. But remember that Jesus is in full-on parable mode here. He's, he's talking really, I think, about what goes on in our hearts and our heads so much more than he is talking about how God responds to our foibles. In fact, I'd actually argue that since the forgiven man has turned from his forgiveness and re-entered a world of judgment, he's choosing to live in a universe in which harsh, harsh judgments are the controlling rule. And it probably will not go well for that man. But here's the question the parable poses to us. What do you need to forget? And what do you need to remember? Do you ever find yourself remembering and ruminating on some hurt you know you need to be set free from somehow, and immediately forgetting the many gifts and graces that have arrived in your life since the first breath you drew just this morning? I sure do. Lewis Hyde wrote a quirky and beautiful book with the splendid title, A Primer for Forgetting. And in one of the vignettes, this is what he says. In Greek mythology, the Furies are embodiments of unforgettable grief and rage. Their names are grievance, ceaseless, and bloodlust. Their names are grudge, relentless, and payback. They bloat the present with the undigested past. They harry the sleepless mind, demanding blood for its release. Do you know these furies, these demons? I know them. It seems that for all that's changed in the world since the days of antiquity, the mind of an ancient Greek worked in ways that are very familiar, at least they're very familiar to me. Elsewhere, Lewis Hyde quotes the 13th century Japanese teacher, Dogen Zenji, who wrote this. To study the self, is to forget the self. To forget the self is to become one with the 10,000 things. The longer I'm alive, still trying to study and understand the self through the teachings and spirit of Jesus, the more I'm convinced that the work of forgiveness Jesus lived and taught was not about bearing down and forgiving people so we'll avoid the judgment of God. He wants to set us free from sin. And we can't be set free from sin, whether the sins we've committed or the sins committed against us, until we begin to learn what and how to remember and what and how to forget. What we get in return, I believe, really is the 10,000 things of this world. What we get in return is a mind filled with the 10,000 talents we've been forgiven or the 10,000 Gifts I tend to ignore while my mind spins and spins and spins on things done and left undone by me or to me. Mind you, I'm not commending the way of Jesus in lieu of a good therapist to you. Quite the opposite. If psychotherapy or spiritual direction or a regular walk or a cup of coffee with one friend you can be completely truthful with helps you, as Emerson put it, Stop dragging about this corpse of your memory. That work is holy work. That work is healing work. That work is the work of Jesus. But what I am commending is that practicing the way of forgiveness in Christian community is why a Christian community like Calvary exists at all. What the work requires in a particular time and place and life can look very, very different. It may mean mustering the courage to tell someone that they've hurt you in ways you can't 
forget all by yourself. Or, since Jesus told a story about a slave and a king, I'll say also that that work might involve remembering the names and the stories of people who were enslaved on this very block, in the shadows of this very church, and possibly, over time, having the name and the story of their enslaver loosen its grip on our collective memory. But what do you need to remember? What do you need to find some way to forget? Ultimately, none of us can answer this for another. But all of us have a role to play in this particular community of Jesus' redeeming work, which is to break the power of sin in our lives and in this world, at least in part, through the healing work of forgiveness on our memories. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.